Welcome to the District Podcast, Outside the District Edition, where we cover topics important to folks living outside the big cities. I'm Teresa Mall, Assistant Editor at Spectator World, and today we are joined in person by Glenn G.T. Thompson, U.S. Representative of Pennsylvania's 15th District, also the Republican Leader of the House Agriculture Committee, which I was surprised to learn oversees cryptocurrency, of all things, which is our topic of discussion today. So GT, there was a Super Bowl ad about cryptocurrency. We've seen it pop up as an optional form of payment here and there with increasing frequency. There's still a lot of confusion, confusion surrounding cryptocurrency, myself included. So in layman's terms, can you explain what crypto is. <laughs> well, Teresa, I'll certainly give it a uh, give it a shot. And Pretty thanks, complicated. <laughs> well, thanks for the opportunity to to uh, to join you here and, and to talk about cryptocurrency. We um, well, first of all, let me let me say I was surprised when I found out that cryptocurrency was in the jurisdiction of the of the Agriculture Committee. Uh, it makes perfect sense when you look at the history of what's led up to that. At, at one point, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Within the agency itself, it had a, a, a division or an agency that handled, you know, basically um, a commodity trading and, and hedging. And hedging is nothing more than kind of locking in your prices. The, uh, and originally, we were talking about just wheat and corn and barley and, and agriculture commodities, the things that farmers grow and, quite frankly, the things that the different people buy. You know, a pizza maker uh, is going to want to lock in a price on wheat so that they know that they can uh, buy wheat at an affordable price to be able to make pizza, uh, to be able to sell it at an affordable price to make a profit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's hedging. It's your, you're hedging your risk. You're managing your risk. And that's where it started. And uh, that was moved out of the Department of Agriculture when people recognized that uh, you could also do the same thing for energy, for gold, uh, for other commodities other than agriculture. And a separate agency was set up called the Commodities Future Trading Corporation, or we love acronyms in Washington, or somebody does, maybe I don't, <laughs> a CFTC. And the CFTC was, was created uh, as a, uh, an agency that, uh, that was not a part of the Department of Agriculture, but the, the, uh, the Agriculture Committee had direct jurisdiction over. All right, fast forward to digital commodities. Uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, I mean, there's there's thousands of them right around the world. Those two I named, first two are probably the biggest that people are aware of. And it really is, um, it's a digital commodity in that it is something that you can exchange uh, something of value for, normally cash, money, whatever, and purchase this, this digital commodity uh, that you could use to make payment that people could accept that. So let me back up a little bit and talk about, uh, uh, it really is the internet 3.0. Uh, so the internet, the first internet we ever experienced was the internet of, of, uh, things, right. And then we had internet 2.0, which is the internet of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, well, let me back up and say the first one's internet of knowledge and then the internet of things. And now we're looking at the internet of value that we can use value basically to transfer value in exchange for making purchases, making payments. And that's, um, that's, that's really what cryptocurrency is. It is, uh, it is a digital commodity. It's not something you can really hold in your hand. 
but it's something that you can purchase. And, and today, actually, I'm really surprised as I travel around a number of ATM machines that you can purchase in exchange for transferring you know, part of what you own through your checking account, savings account, entering cash into the machine. You can actually purchase, which means that you're able to, to get cryptocurrency and that you can use that cryptocurrency uh, to make a purchase as long as the person that you're purchasing from basically accepts cryptocurrency. And it's a huge part of our economy today. At one point, it, it, it tripped over $3 trillion of our economy. Now, it's back down under, I think, in the $2 trillion level right now. But the bottom line, it's here to stay. So whether, you know, there's a lot of people that don't understand it, and I get that part. I've had to work really hard uh, to uh, make sure that I had the, the type of knowledge. And, and actually, I'm currently working and will be introducing, perhaps as early as next week, a uh, piece of legislation to, to provide, try to provide some guidelines on cryptocurrency for the United States. And I'm doing it on a principle-based way. Basically, number one, to protect the consumers. I don't, we don't want to ever have consumers be taken advantage of by bad actors. And I think this piece of legislation will help with that. But number two is we, we want to preserve the innovation. Just like the Internet 1.0 and 2.0 has just created all kinds of innovations in our lives, the Internet 3.0, which is cryptocurrency or the Internet of value, has the ability to do even greater things for us through innovation. But, you know, I've, I've got about five, six principles that I've laid out with this legislation. Uh, that's the first two. Also want to avoid, you know, duplication. Don't want to, you know, we don't we don't need to uh, we don't need complexity with this. I'm trying to keep this legislation very straightforward because people do struggle to understand cryptocurrency and I don't want to make that worse. I'm trying to, to, to make it even easier. And so uh, but uh, that legislation, uh, the uh, Digital Commodity Exchange Act is what it's called. And uh, so I'm probably going to introduce I've been working on that bill since last year. I've left it open for a lot of uh, public comment, uh, key, key stakeholder comment. And but I think we're probably going to I'm probably going to introduce that bill uh, next week. It must be a challenge because it seems like every time I read about cryptocurrency, there's always something changing. And it is a pretty complex um, world out there, kind of like the Wild West. Is, and I think that's part of the allure of it for a lot of people that you can kind of use these cryptocurrencies to suit your needs in a way that's different from traditional currencies. So is that a challenge that you see in kind of regulating or at least putting in some some safeguards to protect the consumer that... Um, yeah, part of it is providing certainty, providing clear definitions, uh, making sure we're defining who the regulator is. That's important. And the best regulator for cryptocurrency really is the Commodities Future Trading Corporation, or CFTC. There's two choices, that or the Security Exchange Commission. That's not a good choice. SEC is about investments. You, you make an investment, it's uh, they provide safeguards to make sure that you're not taking advantage of in terms of the investments that you make, you get a return on investment. That's not what cryptocurrency is. Cryptocurrency really is what it says. It's a currency. Um, and uh, and uh, I will say that when some new token, and that's what these coin, Bitcoin or Ethereum or... Dogecoin. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when they're first created by someone, it normally is an investment. And there's an expectation that you're going to make a return on investment by creating this 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 new thing, um, and that really the regulation there is more, is appropriately the Security Exchange Commission (SEC). But once a token is created, 
it's it's actually a commodity. Uh, it's it's no different than you know if you were a farmer growing wheat. And I'll go back to uh, the, the the pizza uh, analogy. You know, loves pizza. Yeah, there you go. So if you're a farmer that's growing wheat, or you're a farmer that's producing milk that's being made into cheese, um, you know, you have the ability to to to, to uh, with that commodity to find a buyer to lock in a price that you'll be paid for it. And if you're the pizza maker, you're obviously want to try to lock in uh, at a reasonable cost uh, that you can still make a profit at the end of the day, both the, both the cheese and, and the, and, and the, and the wheat uh, for the pizza dough. And that's, it's kind of cryptocurrency kind of works the same way. It's a, it's a relationship. It's an exchange. Now the beauty of it is uh, you know, if we're using regular money, credit cards, checks, whatever, you know, there's an intermediate, there's several intermediaries that are taking their, their fee, right? Fees on credit cards, fees on checking accounts, you know, fees on direct deposits. You don't have any of that when it comes to cryptocurrency. So it's actually the consumer um, is, uh, has the benefit of doing this with, without those costs. You called cryptocurrency internet 3.0. That's pretty exciting. You talked about all the innovations that it could potentially bring to us. Um, so as we see inflation rise more and more every day and with the government essentially printing money, um, do you see cryptocurrency as surpassing completely in the near future or at least the future <laughs> as, as in our lifetime as kind of overtaking these traditional currencies and becoming the, the new dollar? No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I think they'll play a very important role. Uh, and I think I think it's really important that the United States takes a leading role with cryptocurrency. I mean, America really led dom in a dominant way, Internet 1.0, knowledge and the Internet of knowledge and 2.0, the Internet of things. And I, and I think it's just as important that America be the leader with the, the Internet 3.0 with the Internet of, of value. But I don't think it replaces currency, although there are some places that are experimenting with that. And uh, not, you know, there's a, there's a, at least one country that's trying to make it their their currency. I, you know, you, you have to remember, you, you've, you've got to be, have completely bridged the digital divide for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a very challenging thing to do as hard as we're working on trying to get high speed uh, broadband everywhere. And so I, I just see this something that will, you know, a great opportunity for innovations. For example, uh, let me give you one example of something I've heard. Now, I don't know whether this will come to reality or not. I don't know what's over the horizon with the land deposit and the land of possibilities. Well, let, let's say, uh, you know, your cell phone usage right now. Right now, we all go out and we shop around and we find a plan that we purchase that we think is reasonable for the amount of use we're going to use. And, you know, many times we... You know, we underutilize for the amount of storage area, cloud space that we, we purchase. Well, uh, at least theoretically, using Bitcoin or using some type of token, you know, I'll stay neutral in the token, but using some type of cryptocurrency, uh, you can get set up so that the, what you pay monthly for your cell phone would be based on your utilization. Uh, because these cryptocurrencies have the ability to do that, you know, to, to go down to the very... Uh, smallest amount, a fraction of a, of, let's say a Bitcoin. I don't know where Bitcoin is today. It was somewhere around, uh, it was up to as much as $60,000 for a Bitcoin and maybe down closer to 34,000. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it, it fluctuates, right? Uh, or it has fluctuated. Um, 
And uh, but you don't have to work in those huge units. I mean, you can buy whatever fraction you you know you can you can pay pennies using the cryptocurrency. And so uh, I, I'm not sure what all the applications are, but I think it's rather exciting, and that's why we don't want to um, you know we we don't want to um, stand in the way of innovation going forward. Absolutely. You talked about the challenge of getting high-speed internet to places that are more rural. A lot of your district is very rural. Yeah. Um, right here where we're talking right now, we have um, that challenge, but we also have kind of the high-tech, big city world of crypto coming into our little backwoods and neck of the woods here. So um, we've seen these crypto farms, I guess, for lack of a better term, you would call them. There's been some Chinese companies and other people coming in. They're hooking up generators to our natural gas wells. We recall that we had the Marcella shale boom a few years ago, and we still have plentiful uh, natural gas here. And these companies are hooking up to to power these huge crypto computers, these generators. And um, that could be a good thing, I guess, for these rural areas. If we could make some revenue off of cryptocurrency, it's kind of interesting clash of worlds. But I think a lot of rural people, myself included, don't understand crypto and don't understand how this is working. So is there any yeah. insight you can give to them if they see these generators coming in, these computers kind of maybe they can use it to their advantage or what's happening? Yeah, um, um, crypto miners, um, you know, are because obviously this works on the Internet. It takes basically for it to work. It takes a significant amount of computer power to, to make it happen. And there are some very exciting things now. You know, I, you know, it's like any business. You need to make sure that uh, whoever's in that business is doing a, has the best interest of um, of the consumers and is not going to take advantage. They're 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 reputable with how they do business and how they interact. Uh, there's there is one in Venango County, uh, which is kind of cool. They're uh, they're actually uh, doing reclamation at an abandoned mine site, and they're using that reclaimed waste coal piles, which right now, if left unattended, will contaminate land, air, and water. I mean, it, you know, and I work a lot on abandoned mine reclamation. So I'm kind of excited about this project that they're doing there. Uh, and they're using the coal. And the, and the way that you reclaim these old mine sites is you remine. So you come in and remine all that waste coal and, and quite frankly, the coal seam down below the level of the, uh, of the streams that are contaminated. So you basically go down, if it's a deep mine, you go down beyond the floor of the deep mine and you use all that coal to generate uh, electricity. And there's and that's one model that's out there. So they're, they're paying to clean up the environment, cleaning up the land, they're cleaning up the, uh, the water, they're cleaning up the air, um, and, uh, and they're using it to generate the power that they need to, to uh, you know, operate these, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, I would call them computer banks uh, in order to, you know, the, the work in this whole uh, uh, this system with cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's a topic I would love to talk to you again. Just do a full podcast on how remining these old mines is great for the environment and the economy. I want to do that. I lead yes. on that legislation okay. and, and we've seen new birth in areas that, um, and the thing I want to point out is sometimes people complain about the coal mines and the coal mine owners. It was the federal government that told them not to mediate those those oh, those lands because <laughs> because we didn't know how long World War II was going to go on and that coal was used to generate 
first of all, the Industrial Revolution and, and produced the arsenal of democracy to win two world wars. And they didn't know if there'd be a World War III. So the government asked these mining companies not to go in and remediate any of that, to leave it open so that they, we could go in and dig more coal if we needed to. Well, I won't take up too much more of your time, but one final question, since you are head of the Ag Committee, um, we know we've heard these dire warnings about, and we've experienced already, the skyrocketing prices of crops, of uh, fertilizer, of all of grains, things like that. You feed livestock uh, because of the war in Ukraine and the supply chain crisis and all of these things coming together to just <laughs> make an inflation even worse. So is there anything you can tell our listeners yeah. about what you expect to come and what safeguards might be in place to try to stop some of that? Well, not a lot of good news at this point. Uh, trying to work with the Biden administration to do them the right thing to provide American farmers the tools they need to be able to increase their yields. But they've made it very difficult. They've uh, they've sidelined their scientists at the EPA and allowed the political types to demonize certain chemical tools that are necessary for certain seeds, and it's planting season in the United States. They've sidelined uh, the production of natural gas many places, and natural gas, derivatives of wet natural gas is what's used to make fertilizer. And we buy, I think, 20, there's a significant amount of fertilizer that comes from Ukraine and from Russia, and we're not getting from Ukraine because uh, those farmers are all on the front defending their country, and Nobody's buying from Russia right now for good reasons. So there, um, I have done a, a really thorough analysis on this recent, and, uh, and it's not good good news coming forward. Um, uh, and let me just lay it out there: the Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia, they provide twenty four percent of the world's wheat. I very little of the of the winter wheat is being harvested in Ukraine uh, because Russia has blocked diesel fuel coming in, so the tractors aren't working. And quite frankly, farmers between the age of 18 and 65 are on the on the battle lines. And, be, and because of that, we're going to see a serious shortage of food. Uh, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, uh, starting in the Middle Eastern countries, where over half of their food comes from Ukraine. Um, and so we're going to, because, well, Ukraine is a country of 43 million people. Three million have left, 40 million is still there, but they produce food for 400 million. So by this fall, September, October, and I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I've brought in some of the best world thinkers on this issue uh, from uh, the World Food Program with the United Nations, the, the Food and Agriculture Division of, of the UN, uh, from the former uh, chief agriculture negotiator with uh, the United States Trade Representative, you know, right down to the Mexican Farm Bureau president. And I'm... I think that what we're going to see worldwide by September, October is a significant rampant hunger, um, starvation, and death by famine. Now, in the United States, we're just going to see higher prices because we're blessed. But it is going to be higher prices for food, and that's going to be a hardship for many. But the real hardship, the significant hardship worldwide will be those places, you know, starting in the Middle East, but spreading throughout the world of folks who cannot find access to the nutrition that they need. And as a consequence of that, I, I suspect by this fall, we're going to see what we saw a few years ago, we referred to as the spring Arab uprising, because economic conditions are far worse in those Middle Eastern countries. And as individuals, families are not able to find, if you can't get food, the reaction to that, so 
probably going to see an increase in terrorism and violence in certain countries. We're probably going to see a, right now we're seeing about 150,000 encounters a month of people trying to come into the United States from over 100 different countries, by the way, illegally, uh, those encounters. I wouldn't be surprised if that's upwards of 500,000 per month. Because when people are desperate, people can't get food, especially for your children. You're going to do desperate things. And so um, uh, that's why I'm working so hard and trying to convince the Biden administration, give us the chemical tools we need, allow us to produce more natural gas to be able to develop, produce more fertilizer, you know, do everything we can to bring down the costs on these farmers. Because for every bushel that we can produce above and beyond what we normally do, I look at that as a life saved this year somewhere in the world. And, uh, and to me, that's a worthy cause. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all of your work, GT, and keep up the good fight. We're, My pleasure. We're lucky to have you. No, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> of course. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.